ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Thanks everybody that said happy birthday, by the way. Had a birthday uh, at the time of this recording. It was yesterday. It was real cool. Had a good day at work. And hey, got a birthday shout out to Stephen A. Smith. And then Pablo even got iced tea to give me a little birthday shout out. Found that to be pretty dope. Um, I enjoyed it. So yeah, no, I appreciate all that. I'm 39 years old. I got one more year that I can at least like pretend to be young. And, you know, just a reminder to everybody. If you want to get me on your like 40 under 40 list, uh, now is the time. In fact, it's going away, going, going away. Just letting you know, because in case you're curious, they do them list like 40 under 40. Ain't no 50 under 50. Like, that's how you know that getting past 40 means that you are like out of the window of what people consider to be youth. Because there will be 50 under 50 lists if people really thought 50 was young, but they don't. They don't. Like, if you're impressive at age 50, damn it, you should be. you 50 years old. Like, that's how the game is viewed. That's how people look at this. I bet you hadn't thought about it like that, had you? Society letting you know that right now. <clears throat> Ain't no 50 under 50 list. Ain't no 45 under 45. Ain't no 42 under 42. Ain't none of that. Once you get to 40, all of a sudden, apparently, your knee just start hurting. And that's that. So, you know, yeah. That is uh, what has been learned. But uh, anyway, let us move on to your questions. Rick Ross continued relevancy is odd. I am curious as to why you say his continued relevance is odd. And the reason I say that is, have you listened to the new Rick Ross record, the Port of Miami 2? It's really dope. It's really, really dope. Um, The reason Rick Ross remains relevant, despite all our, like, legitimate protest... protestations that's what i'm looking for he stays relevant because his music stays banging like you say what you want to say about rick ross man the man puts out heat consistently puts out heat he has the most sophisticated ear for beats of anybody i can think of and he makes like consistently enjoyable music so yeah he like used to be a ceo that is very true I don't really know necessarily the line. Um, Like, what's the line between lying and storytelling? You know, because, like, we know that Rick Ross is not like Rick Ross. I am kind of fascinated that people, like, ever thought that he was actually some variety of kingpin. Like, is it a lie if you don't actually expect people to believe it? Like, I think that's a real question. Like, I ain't really feel like he was giving us, like, too many stories about being a trapper on the street. That's what I could believe. He created a total fantasy of being, like, the super dope kingpin. Like, he's not Jay-Z, right, where Jay-Z was the drug kingpin. This guy is not that. He was not that. 
And I guess we just made peace with it very early on. And I guess there is a time where we'd have gotten him out of the paint. I don't know. But again, part of what helps about this is, yo, man, the dude continues to make dope music, right? He's been at this now for like almost 15 years or something like that. The dude continues to make dope music. I can't be mad at that. I can't be mad at people who are riding with legitimately dope music. And it ain't really much to be ashamed of. Like, this ain't when I be looking at people listening to Drake, you dig? And I be like, yo, what are y'all doing? Like, are you serious? Like, this is what y'all want to be about? And yeah, I understand what you're saying. You're like, oh, is you saying there's something better about rapping about selling drugs than there is rapping about your feelings? And the answer is, it all depends on what your feelings are now, don't they? Anyway, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. If you've had a chance to see it, do you have any thoughts on the new Chappelle special? You know, I just want to let you guys understand a little something. I uh, was going to do a call with Lance. We do a call once a week to get everything straight, but... I couldn't do it yesterday, and then today I was supposed to do it, but I had to push it to tomorrow, and the reason is I wanted to make sure that I watched this Chappelle special before I got on here for the podcast because I knew somebody would ask about it because I hadn't seen on the tweets that y'all have had a lot of discussion about this uh, new Chappelle special on Netflix. Now, my views or my take on this has got like a few like levels to it there's no real easy way to talk about it now i want to start by saying i found it to be ridiculously funny okay but with me saying that i found it to be ridiculously funny i also start with the caveat that most of what i'm going to say is easy for me to say Right. Like I'm not really on the business end of a lot of the jokes that he's telling there. So I can very easily make some objective statements about what is funny about it, because I'm not on the business end of the jokes that he was making. Now, I think there also are a couple of things that you kind of need to address when you start talking about, like how we evaluate a Chappelle special. One of them is. I don't want to say that black people are thirsty for somebody to be seen as some variety of intellectual thought leader, but I will say that black comedians are viewed as thought leaders in a way that I don't find that anybody else's comedians really are. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like Asian community, Asian comedians are being asked to speak on some larger issues or that their jokes are necessarily taken as being this super broad, overarching social commentary. That is more likely to happen with black comedians generally, but also kind of specifically with Dave because of what a piece of work that Chappelle show was. And it was so insightful on so many things. But I think that we forget also within Chappelle's show that there was a lot of stuff that was like ridiculously sophomoric. And that's always been kind of part of the brand with Dave. And so the thing that hit me in watching the special is that 
he like seamlessly goes between being profound and being absurd. The thing is, part of the appeal of his humor was finding the profundity in what was absurd and finding the absurdity in what is profound. What I think can be kind of difficult at times as the receiver is to try to figure out exactly when he's trying to be absurd and when he's trying to be profound. Now, that can make for great humor, but if you're coming into it seeking profundity, you go wind up with your head fucked up, man. There ain't no way around that. Like, that's what it is ultimately going to be. Now, another question that we ask ourselves is, is being funny enough to justify telling a joke if you're a comedian? Because comedians are typically sociopaths about these things. If it's funny, they roll with it. If you hear the things that comedians say to each other, it is nuts. You would not want to live that life. But that's the game they play. If it's funny, then it rides. That's how they do it. That is an attitude that I think one can argue is like perfectly appropriate for a, say, small comedy club. You could even make the argument that it's appropriate for just like a comedy show. I do believe it's fair to ask a question whether the standard changes when you're Dave fucking Chappelle and you're doing this special on Netflix and you're getting paid $50 million. Like if it raises or however much they pay it, but it raises a different question about what is appropriate for you to say under that context, given who you are, right? So like I once had a dude hit me up. This is, I guess, like six years ago, somewhere in there. And he hit me up about some jokes I was telling about somebody that was close to him, and he didn't like them. And so he hit me up about it, and so we talked. But I'll always acknowledge you made a point that I really hadn't thought of at the time. I'm like, yo, man, I'm just a dude on the Internet. You know I mean, I got a job that you're aware of, but I'm just a dude on the Internet. I'm just telling jokes like everybody else on the Internet. And he's like, yo, you're not a dude on the Internet anymore. Like, that's not that's not that's not that's not the, the role that you play. And so as much as you could try to retain this idea that you're just this guy and that it doesn't really matter what you say because you're just a guy. After a while, that, that's out of your hands. And you can kind of fight against it if you want, but you do have to have a certain acknowledgement that some of the privileges that you enjoy in your life come as a result of the fact that you're not just some regular Joe anymore. And so when Dave tells a joke and refers to the LGBTQ um, coalition as the alphabet people, it comes off bad, man. Like it comes off as punching down. And we say the whole thing, like the biggest rule that there is is that you don't offend the alphabet people. Dude, the alphabet people don't feel that way at all, The as you call them. They feel like they've been the butt of the jokes forever and that people have long gotten away with it, right? So the idea that like everything is, is worked around the idea that you don't offend them, I could totally understand how they're like, what world are you living in? But then he follows that up with the bit about the five letters riding in the car, which mechanically was phenomenal again easy for me to say you know easy for me to say but technically speaking it was phenomenal and i wonder if that's if that bit 
was turned into a sketch. And the actors in the sketch were not straight people playing gay people, but like actually gay people. I wonder how it would go over. Because I thought it was really, really, really well done. Again, easy for me to say. But I thought it was really well done. And I wonder how it would go over if there were different faces in front of it or maybe even behind it. But the content was exactly the same. Like, I think that's a fair question to ask about that. But once you're Dave Chappelle, man, it becomes a little different in this idea of punching down. And one thing I've said, especially when people start talking about trans folks, is they don't really get to joke back at us. You know, they just don't. And so if you're Dave and you're a big part of the appeal of what you've done has always been to say these seemingly shocking things, but that have more than just a kernel of truth to them, but something there. And then you wind up like, whoa, whoa, that's oh, OK, but I guess I can't argue against that in a way. That's his bag. Like, that's what he does. Hell, I admit, I produce a lot of content that's based around, like, doing work in that premise. You know, like, Gabe on the right time messaged me about that. Hadn't thought about it like that, had you? Like, that's the basis of a lot of the stuff that Dave does is basically, hey, I hadn't thought about that, had you? Um, and that's a fantastic device, and it can produce compelling content, but it's the fact that the content is compelling enough to justify actually making it. That is a question I had at various points while I was watching it. But to me, that is a separate discussion from whether or not I thought the stuff was funny. The question is whether it is not whether the stuff is funny. The question for me, at least, is whether or not simply being funny is enough to make that something that you should do. Like, that's what you ask. But like the work itself was fantastic. Like, just as a comedian or just, like, putting together bits and stuff like that? Oh, my God, it was hilarious, right? But, again, easy for me to say. So I make all those opinions, understanding the limitations of my perspective based on who I am and the way that I personally have to navigate through the world. I would say this, though, and this is something that jumped out in Dave's routine. Let me tell you what's kind of going to go by the wayside here uh, in comedy, at least in public places. Um, and that is these blanket stereotypical impressions of people. Now, those ain't really going to work. Like your impression of a Chinese man, I got what the joke was, but nah, you ain't going to really do that. Like the impression of the gay, of the Q dude, nah, 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 nah. It, it, those are the things that are hard to sell. And so he comes back at the end and it's just like, yo, if I did, you know, if I offended you with one of these impressions or whatever, da, da, da. Like I do get that he's saying from the beginning, open it up like, yo, this is what it is. This is what it's going to be. This the bag. You know, like I get it, but I totally get why anybody might or would have a problem. But I also think it's fair to say it's funny if it's funny. You can also like Dave and like the special and acknowledge that some parts of it, not that cool. It's okay to do that. It's okay to say that. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else you got here. 
you can't be friends with your coworker anymore if she calls you a gorilla on national TV, right? Yeah, so like I saw this where apparently a woman at a news station in Oklahoma said that one of her co-anchors looked like a gorilla at the zoo. And so she then came on TV and had to apologize and she cried. I have not watched the video, so I'm not going to make any assessment about the sincerity of her apology. But I feel like you're asking the wrong question here. You're saying you can't be friends with your coworker anymore if she calls you a gorilla on national television. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you probably can't. Like, that would that would be a line that I don't know if I could go back from that. But I have fewer questions about him being cool with his coworker than how the hell it is that he views his boss right now. How was she allowed to sit down at the desk and give this apology? Like, how's she coming back to the job? Like, I don't I don't know what their practices are at that job, right? Like, I don't know what disciplinary action. Maybe they got cooked up or whatever it is. But you ain't nobody. No, no, no. Like, why, why, why her card still work? Like, she should be doing that when she put her card on the thing and it sounded like, bang, or it sounded like some broken glass or something like that. But there ain't no way in the world should just be, boop, and then the door unlocked. Not after that. Like, am I tripping? Like, if I walk in and you at your desk, I'm like, hold on, I'm a little confused. I went in, I went in and put in a report with HR and everything. Like, why, why, why are you still here? Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Today is the anniversary of the the release of AT Aliens. Do you have any memories of when you first heard the album? Lance, do me... Well, actually, never mind that. Um, do I have memories of it? That record came out yeah, the day after my birthday, my senior year of high school. And not long after that, um, I got my first car. Well, actually, no, it was right around there. I had the car. Right around then, I had the car. And so, you know, this is back in the day. And so I made a bunch of tapes, right? Because I remember we had the like the the the, 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 the the fancy CD player in the dash, you know, at the crib or whatever. And um, I made all these different kinds of tapes. And one of them was a tape of AT Aliens. And so I had that copy of AT Aliens. I remember I got the car. And what I got for my birthday was I got two tens and I got an amp. I can't remember if I bought the tens and got the amp for my birthday or bought the amp and got the tens for my birthday. But anyway, I was knocking it. By the time I had it done, I put some Infinity Cap of five and a quarters in the bag dash because I accidentally hooked the amp up to the speakers I already had in the bag dash and blew them bad boys out. So when I got them Infinity Cap, it's like a hundred handle, a hundred watts piece. And I was riding around knocking and that AT Aliens was, ooh, man, I had that thing in rotation, man, full on in rotation. What was interesting, and I talk about this when I reevaluate how I felt about that record versus when it came out, is I, I saw it at the time it came out as like having an East Coast sound. But that isn't what it was at all. It was just very, very dark. You know, like like when you go back and listen to it, that is not a happy record. Like even listening to like the song AT Aliens, like 
it don't even get you up that high. Like there's there's not a lot of smiling to be done on that record, but that record is incredible. 100% incredible. Oh my God, it was so good. So, so good. And good in a way like, how was I ever to expect that they were going to be able to do it again and better the next go round? Like, there was no way for me to see that coming. Never a way for me to see that coming. But, oh, man, I love that record. Andre 3000 made the leap. And, like, the thing is, Andre made such a leap on that record, it's easy to forget that Big Boy made a leap, too. A big leap on that record. They just got so good so fast, and they were already so damn good. Already so good. So, yeah, no, I remember that one, man. I did, I did a lot of driving in the car bumping that tape. Ooh, boy, it made me smile just thinking about it. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Thoughts on the return of Little Brother and their new album? I think that new album is really, really good. Um, and here's the thing about the, about the new Little Brother album. It is, without question, the best that Pooh has ever been. And since it's the best that Pooh has ever been, it is also the best that Little Brother has ever been. Like, it's really that simple. He was so cold and snapping on every track. Where Fonte, like, Fonte is, Fonte's rare. You know what I mean? And it's interesting because he's so good, but in that real level sort of tone, so you can sometimes lose sight of how he's actually crushing it out here. He's so, 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 so good. And Pooh has been good, but he wasn't, like, that kind of good, right? And that happens. Man, on this record, he is that kind of good. Like, I don't know if he's doing as well as Fonte is doing on that one, but it's like, yo, Pooh out here snapping. And those verses about, like, driving um, like driving for Uber, and hoping people don't recognize him and everything else. Like, now I'm so fascinated. I kind of just have a lot of questions about what it was like for him after Little Brother breaks up and Fonte's getting work doing all of these different things. Um, like, what's it like to be poo? And I could totally see that being like, yo, man, I'm out here just trying to do what I got to do to live. I am not trying to, like, deal with all this other stuff, right? But because I did something one time, people going to look at me crazy because they see me now out here just trying to live. Like, I found that to be a really, really compelling sort of thing. And so, yeah, no, I liked, I liked that album a lot. I really liked the skits. I thought it was really, really good. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Somebody put in the question in there, am I a happy Mary fan or a sad Mary fan? Where the hell is this happy Mary that you talk about? You're talking about Mary J. Blige, right? Okay. These questions higher on quantity than quality. Guys, I'm really not about to give you no deep review with that damn chicken sandwich. I had and it was very good. But I tell you this, though, um, I just read a story right before I got on here about, like, what it was like for them people that was whipping up them chicken sandwiches uh, for Popeye's. Let me find a headline for you right fast. 
The headline from businessinsider.com is, I was working like a slave. Exhausted Popeye's employees describe a harrowing situation amid chicken sandwich chaos, including 60-hour weeks and shifts with no breaks. And I'm just trying to figure out, A, how Popeye's never had a chicken sandwich before, but B, how is the planning for this so inadequate? Like, I mentioned this on TV, but this is a true story. So one of our producers went and made the run for the Popeye's chicken sandwiches before we got to work. She was at that bad boy when it opened at 11 o'clock. She said at 11 o'clock, the lady came out from the back, and she said, and I quote, we only have 12 chicken sandwiches, and four of them are spicy. That was it. So now Popeye's says that um, they're going to have to slow down before they bring the chicken sandwich back. Like they really rolled out this chicken sandwich and they were not prepared for what the heat rock was going to be. They had no idea. But listen to this quote from this woman. I was working like a slave in the back, prepping the buns with pickles and the spicy mayo. The bread is really good on it, by the way, just in case you're curious. Let me see if I got any more money quotes out of this. Everyone wanted to quit so bad because it was that bad. We have never seen it get this insanely busy. By the way, I don't know how many of y'all have worked in food service, where the food is being served fast or slow, but man, getting slammed, like when you full on in the weeds, that's the worst feeling in the world, man. Let me tell you a story about my youth. When I was in high school, I got a job working at Fuddruckers, right? So I was working at Fuddruckers, and apparently I really showed out my first two weeks at Fuddruckers. And I know I really must have showed out my first two weeks at Fuddruckers because my manager in the third week gave me 35 hours. They gave me 35 hours on the schedule. I was like, man, 35 hours at $4.80 an hour? Oh, boy, I'm about to be paid. My pockets going to be sitting fat. So anyway, I worked on New Year's Day, right? I work on New Year's Day, and we get through like 12.30, maybe 1 o'clock, something like that. And it was mad slow. So the manager did what managers do at these kinds of establishments when it's slower than they had expected when they put the schedule together, and they started sending people home. Anybody want to guess what happened after they sent all those people home? Oh, yeah. Everybody showed up. Everybody showed up. I was the only person who did my job that was doing my job on that afternoon. I have never been more tired in my life. I have never been more exhausted in my life. It was the worst feeling. It just seemed like you I cleared off one table, another table was covered. It just oh man, it was never ending, man. It was never ending. And the manager who sent everybody home, I ain't even like her. 
Oh, so bad. So I'm just saying, as much as we got all these jokes about this Popeyes, man, I feel bad for the people that was in there getting slammed behind it. Because, like, it being busy, it, I mean, and I ain't worked with so many jobs, but I feel like when it's ridiculously busy like that at a food place, I don't know if anything just feels more futile than that. And dudes, like, I know you were cussing mad. Dude, I was 16. I didn't even have a chance to be mad. Like, I didn't understand what was going on, right? I hadn't even been working long enough to get this idea that you sent people home, even though they showed up. I thought that, yo, once I was on the schedule, that money was in my pocket. I didn't know they could be like, yo, you got to clock out and leave. I had no idea. I just remember, man, at one point, finally, man, my boss came over. He come in later in the shift. And he just came over, and he was just like, dude, sit down and rest for a minute and then go home. Like, he looked like he had so much sympathy for me because he knew that I was out there grinding as best I could. Oh, man, it was so bad. It was so bad. Like, you hear me now? Like, this is, this is like 22 years ago, almost 23 years ago. I'm still, like, I got tired just thinking about how tired I was right then. And somebody here talking about the mistakes of a 16-year-old. What mistake did I make? I wasn't out here sending people home. Hell, you mean the mistakes of a 16-year-old? What was the mistake? Getting a job? What are you talking about? Trey never had no job before? I was so proud of myself for getting that job, by the way. I'll never forget. I was stacking my money for the prom, man. I was so proud I went and got that job. I remember me and my partner, we used to walk through the mall in our uniforms because that's how the girls knew we had money. All right, we had jobs. So they knew we had a little bread in our pocket. I remember, man, I rolled up on this girl. She was at the Blockbuster Music. I was like, oh, yeah, what's going on? And she was like, you don't remember me from Fuddruckers? I came in with my dad. I did not remember her from Fuddruckers. Just so you know. Anyway, appreciate that wasn't even a question. I just answered some stuff. Let me see what else we got here. Dude, you hear talking about your thoughts on the Richard Pryor Jr. Paul Mooney situation. Number one, how many times do I have to tell y'all? Ask a question. Thoughts is not a question, you lazy motherfucker. Ask a question. Number two, I have no thoughts on that whatsoever. None. I saw the headline, and I just tiptoed away. I seen, I, I, what, am I, what am I supposed to do with that? Right? Like, I, I don't know. Somebody telling the truth, somebody lying. That's all I got. So we're just going to be in a never-ending loop of discussions about cancel culture. Yes, we are going to be in a never-ending loop, apparently, in discussions about campus culture. I mean, cancel culture. But, yo, here's the thing. Very few people are actually being canceled. At least not people at the height of something. Like, you can get canceled if your thing ain't really cracking like that. And even then, you kind of got a chance to recover. But um, it'll be a never-ending discussion about cancel culture because nobody gets canceled. 
that's why it doesn't really work that way. I do make, and look, I agree with the idea that there's a certain hypersensitivity um, on certain matters and the way things are discussed in public that really bothers me. I also think that we don't have a situation that allows anybody to get anything wrong. Like everything, everybody has to get everything right. Or all of a sudden people's opinions of you just completely changes based on the wrong, the one thing that you got wrong and it doesn't give you room. I don't think to grow and evolve, you know, within that. I, I mean, I, I think there are things to be said about all of that, but I don't think anybody's really out here getting canceled. Or very few people. And as a result, you're going to have more discussion of the culture of cancellation than actual cancellation. But again, where I do think it matters and what I do think should be discussed is nobody's going to get this right all the time. No one is. And I understand the idea that if you have and put a certain investment into somebody or you have these feelings about people and then they say something that disappoints you that it hurts. But what you might want to do is stop putting so much into those people in the first place. Like that's part of the problem. The level of disappointment that we have, I think is people inflating the significance of these folks that they don't know. And that, I think, is where you can walk into something that's kind of dangerous. All right, appreciate the question. Let's get a couple more of these. What the best advice you can give for someone who is in their first year of college? Piece of advice number one, read before class. You make your life so much easier just taking a little time and reading before class. Because the reality is, you're going to be doing a lot your freshman year, but you ain't going to be doing shit. Like, you ain't got a lot going on your freshman year that cannot be arranged around reading before class. That's it. Chances are you can get all the reading you need to get done in the daylight. Read before class. Somebody's saying, take lots of notes. I'm the wrong person to ask about that. I'm not much of a note taker. But read before class, and then you might not have to take so many notes. Read before class. Participate in class. Somebody says, go to class. Hey, yeah, if you want. You know if you need to go to class or not. But you always need to read before class. And number two. This is not a small one. This is a big one. Number two, condoms. Use them. Use them. And in fact, let me give you number three. And I think this is one that gets lost. And I think this, but I think this is important. The people around you are going to be doing a lot of drinking. Please understand that a lot of the drinking that a lot of those people are doing is coming from a place of fear and anxiety of being in this new place and trying to settle in and trying to get over the nerves and everything else. All right. That's not everybody, but that is going to be a lot of people recognize that within yourself. Like if you're drinking and having, you know, having fun, go ahead and do that. 
But if you drinking to overcome something, if you drinking to come like to get past something, if you drinking to push through something, that's when things can turn into a problem. And so one thing that happens with college is we just associate all that drinking that you do in college as it's just college. But their root cause is behind it. And try within yourself to be to be aware of what the things are that are causing you to make the decision that that's what you're going to do. Because, man, that drink have you out here making all kinds of horrible, horrible, horrible decisions. You know, so just like keep a watch on yourself on why you're doing the things that you do. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. What's wrong with a certain level of cancel culture in the arts and media? If I sexually harass someone in my workplace, I will lose my license to practice. I can still make a living. I just need to find another job. I mean, okay, you're right. I don't really know what you're going for here, to be honest. Like, yeah, are, I mean, should are there things that people should be punished for? Uh, yeah, duh. Um, I, though... I'm leery of notions of like permanent banishment. And again, I don't think this notion of personal banishment really exists, but I am leery of notions of personal banishment. There has to be a path to redemption. All right. Otherwise you're just showing off like your ability to punish. There has to be a path to redemption because if you don't have a path to redemption, then you're never going to have a time where anybody admits to anything because they got to fight it all the way out because what's the point of admitting it or getting any better if you're not going to get anywhere from it. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got. When you're away and not tweeting often, do you still look at Twitter? I've seen people lately try and argue there's a more responsibility to be online as much as possible. And honestly, their arguments have made me want to be on it less. I've never heard of anybody try to argue the moral imperative of being on the Internet all the time. Um, I do look at it when I'm away uh, or when I'm not tweeting much. Not a lot, but a little. Um, maybe probably more than a little, because that's still how I look at news. Like that's the place I've aggregated news. That's how I kind of stay informed um, of what's going on in the world. So I look, yeah. Like for me, I used to be really engaged in discussion with people on Twitter, and that's become taxing. That's become stressful. That I don't do anymore. Like that, I have one hundred percent tapped out on. Yeah, I'm off that. Oh, hold on. All right, let me see if I got anything else here to answer. No, I think I kind of got through all there is to deal with here. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this thing here about once or every week or two or so. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Uh, remember, if you cannot watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We're also at the Google Play Store. All right. I'll talk to you guys in a little while. Take it easy.